We are and always will be a nation of immigrants. This is my country, my damn country. Give me my country, you can keep the rest. Old men and women yearning for freedom and opportunity who leave their homelands and come to a new country to start their lives over. We were strangers once too. My country, my damn country. Give me my Hello, country. hello, hello, aliens and allies. Your friendly Russian is here. This is We the Aliens podcast, and I'm your host. Sasha Kapustina. Thank you for tuning in. Today on the podcast, I talked to Che Guerrero. Che was brought to the U.S. from the Dominican Republic as a child. He was undocumented for many years, and now he's a comedian, activist, and a future lawyer. We recorded this conversation before the shooting of Jacob Blake and all the events that followed. But we did talk about race quite a bit. Actually, we talked about race and identity more than immigration in this episode, but it is part of Che's immigrant experience, and it certainly is something that every immigrant who comes to the United States has to figure out and navigate, because I dare to say that most other places in the world don't deal with this issue on the level that America does. If nothing else, I believe this conversation is a little window into an experience that many of us don't have. And I first wrote experience that many of us are fortunate not to have, but I scratched that because being a person of color cannot be seen as an unfortunate experience by itself. That is right there demeaning. What is unfortunate is how the society treats them and views them. I listened to Che, who has worked as a nurse with elderly for years and is studying to become a lawyer. And I hear the pain and anger in his voice that are very real. And no matter how you look at this, that pain won't just disappear. These are very complicated issues, and I encourage all of us to listen to people who are going through these experiences and to read up and learn about all of this. There's a lot that has to be done if we hope to live in a harmonious society, and it's not going to be achieved by force. And now, to set the stage, here's a few minutes from Che's 2019 comedy album, A Temporary Summit. Uh, yeah, I was undocumented for 20 years. I'm going to tell you guys the truth. What happened to me was uh, my mom flew me here, and then we overstayed our visa, which is actually how a lot of people become undocumented. It's a very common thing, but a lot of Americans don't seem to know that fact. Because whenever somebody will find out I was undocumented, right away the first question is, oh my gosh, how'd you get here? <laughs> right, because they all want to hear an awesome escape story. They all want to hear something like from Blood Diamond, like, oh, I have to have a carrot up my ass. Like, no, it's just, <laughs> no. <laughs> That's what they want to hear, They're like, oh, how'd I get here? I swam 300 miles, yeah. I punched so many sharks as a kid, it was amazing. You ever punch a, a great shark as a six-year-old? It's amazing. But they always get so disappointed, I can see it in their face, because I'm like, how did I get here? American Airlines. I watch Aaron Brockovich my whole way to freedom, you racist. I ordered a blanket, come on. And not those foil ones either. A real nice blanket. All right, I'm like, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you guys the truth. I do have an escape story, damn it, I just... I just don't like to lead with it because everybody's like, I knew it, you little immigrants. 
But I do, I have an escape story. You guys wanna hear my escape story? Yeah. <laughs> Don't get too excited, right? <laughs> no, this is true. This is actually my escape story. Uh, I actually came to this country twice, right? The first time I came to this country was with my mom, my dad, and my sister. Now, the biggest problem in this trip was my father, right? Because my dad, like, hated this country. Because this country really humbled him. You know what I mean? Because, like, this country, like, really shows you what you're made of, right? And back in DR, he was a dentist, right? But when he came to this country, you know, they don't, they don't recognize your degree, so he became an alcoholic. <laughs> Fucking crushed at nine to five, man. He was a good alcoholic, but... But my mom loved it. My mom loved it. She got a job. She got friends. She was starting to feel like whole women's liberation shit. She's like, oh my God, what is this? I could just go out. So like a couple of months, my dad was like, fuck this. We're going back. I'm done in this country. Right? But my mom like went back to DR fucking pissed. She's like, I don't want to fucking go back there. They don't have fucking lights all the time. This is bullshit. <laughs> right? So my mom, but my mom's, my mom's a G, right? So my mom like, she, she, she played it cool for five months. For five months, in the five months, like my dad started drinking more, he started cheating, and for five months, she's like, one day, motherfucker. Just one day. And then finally, one day, it was the day, right? One day, she just got into her mind, she's like, today's the day I'm leaving this guy. Right, she just looked at my dad, she's like, hey, I just want you to know I'm gonna take the kids, and I'm gonna take them to the mountains for three days. The mountains back then, you had to go on a fucking donkey. It was mad hard to get up there. My dad's like, what, three days when my family's in the 1800s? Fuck yeah, just. Right? And she was like, okay, I'll see you later. And we went straight for the airport. Well, actually, we stopped off to pick up my grandma because she can cook and you don't fucking leave that shit. You don't leave. You don't leave an immigrant national treasure who can cook back there. You know what I mean? You're like, nah, nah, you gotta come with us, lady. We don't know what we're gonna encounter in this country. You know what's funny, too? I remember going to my grandmother's house. That's what I love about, like, Spanish grandmothers, that they'll keep that bitterness inside until finally the day that it's, it's ready to come out. Because I remember, like, my grandma was just sitting in a rocking chair, all old and brittle, and my mom comes in, she's like, I'm leaving him! And she just goes, fucking finally, and just... It was like a Willy Wonka moment. She's like, ah, we're going to the chuck. <laughs> she's like, let's go. And then all she did was like, oh, hold on, I gotta turn off the stove. And she just turned off the stove and left her home and just closed the door. It's fucking, that's a good grandmother right there. She's like, I don't know, somebody take care of the leaves. Fuck it. And we just <laughs> went to the airport. So we go to the airport... Now this is where it gets this is where it gets dramatic, right? It's me, my mom, my grandmother, my sister at the airport. And we're gonna go through customs, we're gonna go through TSA and all that stuff, but before we do, my mom stops us. She looks at me and my sister and she goes, Hey, I got a question. Do either of you know how to act? <laughs> yeah. Well my mom didn't know this, but on my first trip to America, I got hit with the acting bug hard. Yeah, like really hard. After I saw the greatest actor of all time, Sinbad. <laughs> I was six years old. He was in all my favorite movies. Jingle All the Way, Good Burger. I was like, this guy's fucking amazing. His range is just... It's up and up, really. It's, right? So I tell my mother, I was like, I can act like Sinbad. And she's like, whatever you got. All right? So I was like, all right, cool. So here's why, here's why my mother asked us if we can act. This is very important. I didn't find this out till years later. Right, because I didn't. I, I just had to play my part. But here's what I found out. I found out that when you're leaving a country with two kids, like a third world country, you need both parents' signature. Right, it's a very big deal. Right, and my mom can't say that he's dead because she needs a death certificate. She can't say like, oh, you know, we're divorced. She needs proof of divorce. And then people are like, oh, how come she didn't just like forge a signature? Like, well, because you know, when he found out what happened, do you know what I mean? Like, he's he's gonna be like come after us, it's gonna be a whole nother legal slew. It's just like, she didn't want to deal with that. So what she figured was like, I just gotta improvise and just come 
put something in the moment, right? So we're going through, right? And she's like, all right, I'm just going to go through and just whatever happens to the grace of God, I'll see what happens. We get to the TSA and she's like, it's a fucking movie, right? The guy looks at my mom, looks at the paper, looks at us and goes, hey, where's the father's signature? And my mother goes, okay, mira, um, I have to get the kids away from their father because he touches them. Isn't that right, children? I am six years old. I have no idea that touches has a sexual connotation. I just thought touches me like touches. He touches me, right? So when my mom goes, isn't that right, children? I just go, touches, Sinbad. Has anybody seen Sinbad act, right? He's, right? He's a little bit over, over actor, so this probably isn't the best character to pull from because I was like, touches me, Sinbad, go. Yeah, man, he touches me all damn day. In the bathroom, the kitchen, the basement. I mean, can a brother stop getting touched? I just looked at this TSA and he fucking froze. I looked at my sister, she too was like petrified. And I was like, yo, fucking amateurs, man. This is why you don't work with amateurs. Get me a Haley Joel Osment or some shit. And I can tell why this TSA guy was freaked out because he just saw like the most fed up molested kid in the world. He's like, God damn it, man, I am tired. This guy just looked at me and my family. He's like, oh my God, get the hell out of this country. Just leave, Jesus. So we left. We just got out of the country. We're like, thank you very much. No more molested. And that's how we left. And I was an adult though. That was, that was my escape story. And I was an adult, right? Like, you know, I'm doing comedy. I'm trying to follow my dreams of like entertainment. And I do have friends who are like, you know, actors who are like arrogant when they book something. They're like, oh, hey, man, I just booked the Colgate commercial. I'm like, what, man? When I was six, I booked Freedom. So why don't you not tell me who the better actor is? Yeah, then I came to America and I've lived happily ever after. That was a joke. I'm sorry. I thought I was going to get something there, but it's... And here's my conversation with Che. Well, I mean, my, my legal name is still Miguel, but like I'm going to have it legally changed to Che when, because like here's a great place to start. Um, I have a green card. So like if you're an American citizen and you want to change your name, it's like $14 and they're like, whatever you want to be, you're American, be free, baby. But uh, <laughs> since I'm a green card holder, they're like $600, motherfucker. And you're like, come on, man. Like that's man money just to be, like, that's how they find you for being brown and wanting to do the same thing that like an American wants to do, you know? You're like, damn, I gotta pay like 6,000% that this white person gotta pay? And then life. Yeah. Privilege, yeah, right there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. yeah. when did you come to the States? I came to, I came to America twice. I've got told the stories on like, on like shows and podcasts, but it's like, so I'm trying not to tell like in the jokey way that I do in stand-up. So I'm trying to tell like, like, yeah. real, like this is really what happened to me. Cause you get so used to it to say it as a performer, you forget it's like an actual event. Yeah, well, we'll try to break uh, it down <laughs> to more items yeah. and then maybe we'll get something different. Uh, so I came, so I came first in like 1994 and then I went back to DR and I came back in like 96. And then I've been, I've been in the country, uh, since 96, but like a one year after that, we overstayed our visa. So I've been undocumented since 97 to 2013. Wow. So that's, that's, that's a lot of formative years. That's from like seven to 25, 26. 
was just like, because you know how it is, you fall in and out of status. Yeah. So 1996 was when I first came here, officially in like state. Yeah, and you came here from? Dominican Republic. And do you feel yeah. American? That is, that is, um, I, okay, that's funny, because like, all right, that's funny, because like, I don't feel American, but I get mad at my parents because I don't have a good relationship with them. I'm sorry. But it's, no, no, but it's because like, I became American and they don't like it. Oh. Do you know what I mean? Because like America isn't just like where you live. It's like the idea, the, the, I think it's just like the, the ideas that are in your head. Yes. And you're like, you know, like my family's like, why don't you want your name that we gave you? And I'm like, because name is just a construct. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, you gave it to me. You didn't even know who I was. Like, you know, to be fair. And also like you gave me a name and you, ne you never even raised me. So it's a little unfair that I have to keep walking around with this name that I don't even know the people who gave it to me you know what mm. I mean? Like, and then, and then that's one aspect of it. Or the other aspect of it is even when I was undocumented, I was very vocal about my, my status. And I was, I was the kind of dude that I was like, you shouldn't be touching me just because I ain't got no papers. I'm a good human being. So that's a very American, and my family's like, callate, callate, cono. Siempre con esta ilegal, ilegal. She's saying that word all the time. Like, it's the word that cannot be spoken. Or else they'll find you. I'm like, listen, you can't just say illegal and ICE knows where you're at. It's not a homing signal. <laughs> like you can you can say illegal. I'm illegal. You can say it in your own home, <laughs> you know, in your own home. <laughs> but like, yeah. so yeah, so so like so, just to say that I'm American, like I, I am American in my mind. Like, like wherever you send me, I'm just gonna be like So what do you mean? What do you feel is being American? You know what? It's every day it, it changes because of what Trump does. So whatever he does, I'm like, that's anti-American. Like, like you should be able to vote by, vote by mail. That's fucking American. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it changes every day. But at the end of the day, I don't, it's not even American. It's just, I just, like, like a perfect example is, I'll be honest, like my partner is a dancer. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And, you know, as a dancer at a strip club, like she doesn't get, she can't get benefits. She couldn't get unemployment. Like there's all these things that like they prevented her from being able to access because of her line of work that I was like, that's anti-American. This is somebody who's, this is, first of all, I hate to talk like this, but you know, like she's a mother, like she's more than just a mother. But if you want to look at somebody in the aspect, that is a mom who's working. She's the main breadwinner and her, her income is not viewed or respected in the law. I don't think that's right. So I think that's an ideal sort of like American that I'm yeah. like, you understand? Like, I don't, I, I don't, I don't, I don't sign up to this Christian, you know, ideology kind of thing. I, I, ex I expect more from being, able to let people reach their highest ideals. I know it sounds like cheesy and just letting them be. So yeah, so being American, like it's it's very like instilled in me, like wanting to do that kind of stuff. So when was the moment when you felt that you have crossed the boundary into becoming American? Was there a moment? It, you know, what's funny. It was, it was a little bittersweet because it was, it was because of my partner. Like I, I have to give a lot of credit to this ideology that I have because of my partner like she she's she's i always say it's like my, my girlfriend's a white girl but when i a white woman yes. white person whatever but when i but when i call her white i don't want you just to, to think that i'm a, a like she is like like she's gone to protest she's thrown her and her friends have thrown paint can at people who wear fur like she voted for ralph nader like i'm talking about she is a radical female who's like Fuck you, dude. I should be able to sleep with as many men as I want, just like women sleep with as many, you know, just like I do sleep with as many women. Like she has those kinds of ideals. So when I got with her, I was, you know, I'm, I'm Dominican. My, my family's very Catholic. Like we're very repressed people. So 
to be not only with someone like who is that militant about her beliefs in what you know women's rights are and all these things, but also to be with someone who is an American citizen, like you know, exercises her right to vote, exercises her right to protest, you know, exercises her right to own a gun, like to all the things that I couldn't do, mm-hmm. right? That it was like shocking to me that this woman could do. And I actually like, I feel bad, but I actually like watched her from like behind the bushes, like, oh shit, I love the way she's standing up for herself. I'm gonna try that. And then I just be like, you know, and then little by little, like I started standing up for myself, you know, educating myself, you know, a lot of like, you know, she, she gave me, she put a lot of books in my hands that made me like really, like it cracked my mind open on like, first I went to school in New York city. So I had like horrible educations. So I wasn't even taught how to use a comma. So it's, she, she's been very like the miracle worker, like zeros, like, you know, like, look at me, I, I know what water is. So, so that's where it's come from. And then it's, it's, and then what, what happened was, and where I saw it happening was in my comedy. Cause you gotta realize, and I, I use this word against myself because it's the only way I could describe it. Look, when I started comedy, I mean, you know how, I, I don't know if you, you know, I'm speaking for myself, but when you're undocumented, you try everything possible to hide it. You know what I mean? You don't want anybody to know. So everything becomes a lie. You know, so I was too afraid to talk about it. Mm-hmm. I don't have that experience, so I'm actually very curious to hear. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. So, so let me let me let me rephrase that. When you, for, I'm speaking for personal. Being undocumented, my my whole family, my whole life was like, you know, shut up, don't talk yeah. about it. You know, and what really started to like, I started to realize was like, I I didn't talk about it on stage. So all my jokes was like, I was born in Queens or, you know, I, I lied a lot of, in my comedy oh, wow. about things that I just wanted. And by the way, I didn't tell big lies. I told people that I was like a nurse and I was born in Queens. I didn't tell big lies. Like I was like a CEO and born on yeah. a yacht. You know what I mean? I, I told like just, just enough to be American. Yeah. You know? And, and it wasn't like until my partner really started to like be with me and, and be like, that's a lie. Like, that's a lie. Like, why are you like, listen, it's your, your story about how you had to escape the Dominican Republic is so much more interesting than those lies. Like the way you see the world and the way you're mistreated by the system is way more interesting than any Uber joke you write. Like, and then what, what happened was, so I've been doing comedy for 13 years and here's what happens. When you do comedy for eight years, and this is the word that people get mad when I use against myself and you're willing to play the coon. You know what I mean? Like play the part, play the Latino with the accent when I don't have one or make pretend I don't know English for parts. And, and then you start to change and tell those friends, hey, I don't want to play that fucking role anymore. Or your friends, air quote here mm-hmm. for the audience, you start to tell them things after the show, like, hey, that joke that you, you wrote about black people just shooting each other, that's, that's wrong, man, that's racist. Then you start to become a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, you start to become, because they don't want to feel uncomfortable. And also they're like, they look at you and they're like, Dude, you're not even from this fucking country. You know what I mean? So and- it's like, it's like, you're, you're, no, no, but it's like it's like this thing like like you're judging me on what I should what I can or can't do. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, first of all, they're 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 mad that I'm judging them in comedy when you're supposed to say anything right. you want. And the honest, I got truth. A lot of times, people use comedy as a way to try and you know mask some real feelings behind it. And at the same time, they're like, well, this is guy talking about being undocumented, being illegal, and then he's fucking coming up to me telling me what what I can or cannot do. So I see it in their face. They're like, all right, whatever, chill, dude. And the more I started saying, honestly, I can show you my tax returns. Like I was making $23,000 doing comedy a year. And then I started to stand up for myself and it went 18,000, 11,000. And then last year I made 8,000. Cause all you have to do is start to voice your opinion and clubs can just be like, I don't want to deal with that guy anymore. He used to be fun. He used to let me be racist, but he's not 
fun anymore. Huh. Does that make yes, sense? Yes, I'm just trying to digest okay. it. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm not sure how to... I would not expect that, to be honest with you. I would expect the opposite. I mean... No, it was, it was a very big backlash against me when I started to stop. And I keep saying to stop playing the coon. Because I actually have, like, examples of, of uh, sketches that I was in that went viral and for all the wrong reasons. And I was the, the, the Latin person who was very the, the butt of the jokes. And I, was, I looked at that and I was like, oh, my God, that's what I was willing to do for success. You know, so that's when, like, all these things started to come. Like, like, you know, when did the ideas of being American start to be? It started to form around, like, three or four years ago of really starting to see how it's being used in comedy for a long time. Because, you know, all I wanted to do was work because when I didn't have papers, comedy was the only way I could eat. So I was willing to do anything just to eat, you know? So that's that you start to sell your soul. And then when I did become a resident and I could start being a little more like, well, actually I can get a job now, so I don't need to do these. People start to hate you when you get a backbone, you know, especially in this industry, you know? Hmm. And well, my, my uh, I guess, silly assumption would be that people in that industry wouldn't be, I mean, they're not conservative. Why, why are they, are they worried about the controversy? I wish I could explain how the backlash sort of like came to be because I see it a lot also with like people of color who are political or tend to be a little more in your face get you you sort of start to get put more on like special shows and mm. or like they won't just bring you into a room to write you know what I mean you have to write for like a political show you know or like so you start to get put in these boxes like I I started to realize like at one point I was able to work with anyone and then I only started to get put with other political comedians which really alienates me. That is very interesting. I can I can totally see that. I can I, now I'm kind of putting it together. So they're forcing this concept of identity, sticking to your identity to you, and since you're refusing yeah. to be the identity that you used to pretend to be yeah. for a long time, yeah. now yeah. they're like, oh, you're not that identity. You're the different thing. Now you have to stick to yeah. that one. And yes. they're, you're putting, they're putting you into a different box, which you don't feel that you belong. Yeah. yeah and I, I, I felt it. Like, I honestly, like when I started shifting, there'd be situations where like white dudes will stand up in the audience and they'll be like, I'm done with you. Like I have the recording of like, I was doing a joke about how white people are going extinct they are. and they're doing it because they're having sex. Yeah. And I said, it's like, I was like, I was like, oh, you're going extinct because you're actually having more sex with brown people. Like you're doing this to yourself. You're fucking yourselves out of existence. You're going through a sexual genocide. You're coming and going at the same time. <laughs> That's the joke. You know what I mean? That's the joke. Yeah. It's, it's, it's in your face. It's obvious. But it's also a fact. It's also a fact. This one white dude was like, I am done with you. And I was like, what do you mean you're done with me? He was like, I don't, I don't even like what you've said all night, is what he said to me. And I was like, that was such an honest reaction. And honestly, after he said that, I had now worked that club again. All you need is one angry white guy to be like, this comedian just, oh, and have, you know, just, just, just that anger that he made me feel that they're like, oh, we see how Che is. Let's put them on other nights. Because here's the thing, people, like, I want people to remember this. Comedy clubs, at the end of the day, you see them now, they're businesses. Hmm. They, they want to sell their drink. As much as they talk that they're about the art, they're not. Friday and Saturday nights, they are about money. Mm -hmm. Okay? What is the package that we can put together that can sell the most seats? You, you ever go on a night where they have, like, a political comedian? They'll sell 50, 60 tickets a night. You get some basic white guy like Chris mm -hmm. D'Elia. He'll sell out 500. So they're like, we need a basic white guy. His audience are basic white people. We need a basic opener and we need an even basic host. 
and not trying to say rude to any of the comics who are in those positions, but when you start to become a comedian that they can't see as marketable or broad, especially if you're brown, they're like, we can't even, we got to put you with the other brown people who are political. And that's all you can fit at. Wow. So that's how my money went from 23, even though I was still making crowds laugh, if it's one or two that are complaining, then they start to be like, ah, he doesn't belong there. He belongs on these nights. Hmm. You know, which is why I'm actually, you know, like I'm, 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 I'm proud that I made this change. And I'm proud that actually that I had to see it that way because while people might not believe, they could be like, hey, man, you know, clubs got to book other people. Guys, clubs got to do this. I'm like, I can tell you exactly when clubs stop booking me and I'm okay living with that truth because I'm very happy that I, that I, I, I woke up from that. When I saw everything that I had done and how I disrespected my people, I couldn't live with myself going another 20 years in a career where all I did was disrespect my people and my community. Just couldn't do it. I can absolutely see why that would be and i commend you and i respect you tremendously for making that choice i am just naively uh surprised that people would respond that way i would think again naively that the, that comedy people and the comedy crowd would be different but i guess yeah i i really don't know much about that world if i was just just talking to you as a comic it'd be kind of hard to get because you'd be like well you sure you didn't do this or you didn't do that look it's it just becomes like this repetitive thing of, of only being brought in the room to play a certain role. I would think that you would have as an immigrant, your niche with that kind of political and you're funny. Thank you. Like I, I listen to your stuff. You know what? That's the point. I'm be real with you. I, I, that's, I'll be real with you. I, I, I'm not even trying to sound arrogant. Look, I, I know I am. I, and I'll be real with you. Like I, I, I love comedy. I you wouldn't be doing actually, it if you didn't I, know I that you are. <laughs> Be impossible. Not just that, like, like, that. <laughs> 13 years. I, I, I honestly, I, I didn't see that in myself until three years ago when I actually started to have a voice, started talking about being an immigrant, started talking about like my pain that I actually like was on stage and I heard this crowd give me a, a, a laugh that I hadn't heard before. I'm getting goosebumps. Right. And I said to myself, kid, you got it. Like I've been doing it 10 years and I never told myself that I was good. But three years ago, I was like, nah, dude, you found it. it I don't know how you did it, but you figured out how to be yourself and because my comedy is all about love. Like, I honestly, I don't even talk about politics in a bad way. I talk about it in a loving, it happened to me, this is how I live mm -hmm. it. Because my whole life, I want to live with love. Like, I want to just, like, I just want to help people. Like, I've actually, I haven't quit comedy, but I've, I've scaled back because I'm going to community college because I want to be a lawyer. I want to be a civil rights lawyer. And I want to help out my brown, my brown brothers and sisters, like, achieve greatness in this country the way that I've been held back because of these oh, stupid goddamn. My God. So that's, I'm in school right now. Like, I'm actually crushing it. Like, by the way, like, horrible public school system. I got like a 3.7 GPA in college. Like I'm like, well, you know, when you do it in the right time, when you know what you want, mm -hmm. I actually, mm -hmm. it's funny. We're on, on, um, on similar trajectories, but in, in different ways. I, I went to law school back in Russia oh. because I had all those idealistic, uh, you know, aspirations, but uh, being born in a country beyond law kind of rendered that career, um, you know, impossible. Uh, so wait, that sounds so weird. That's not, you know, I, I'm almost heartbroken for you because you're somebody who, so you went for law. I did. In a, in a country that doesn't respect what they're teaching you. That's so, that's heartbreaking. It is. It, it like in a very real that's way. so heartbreaking. And yeah, like I feel that now because I realize like I'm doing that because I'm like, I'm, I want to be a lawyer. I'm, I'm, I'm doing the steps now. I'm the baby steps. But what if I do get to the point where I'm like, every time I fight for my, for my clients, there's, there's no hope for them. Like I can't. Well, 
I hope that there is hope. And I think that that's the most essential American thing. Right. And that's what I love about being here is that, yes, we can thing. And that there is always yeah. a possibility. Yeah. And I, I quit law before I came to the United States. I, I went to college in Russia. I graduated. And actually, before I graduated, I, second year of college, I, law school, uh, I worked for an attorney. And he said, you're going to work for me for a year and you're going to quit the profession after that. He said that to me at the interview. And that's exactly what happened. I worked for him for a year and I realized that I will not be able to handle the level of cynicism that is required. I'm kind of in this uh, space in my life where I'm figuring, reconfiguring things. And I guess it's a forever process. And, you know, I went to law school and I had those, all, the, all those ideas that I believed in. I dreamt of being a lawyer since I was 12. I was really into it until I realized it's not what I'm studying in reality of, that I was in. Yeah. And I do think a lot about how my life would have been different if my dad, when he was my age, left Russia, which he could have, you know, he was a English speaking programmer from Russia, Jewish, would have lived in, in Palo Alto now. Yeah. And I would have gone to law school here and I would have had a completely different um set of yeah. circumstance. And, you know, I keep thinking of, okay, now I'm here. I haven't yeah. gone to law school here, but um, I still believe in all those things. Yeah, I guess that is kind of like, I'm sorry, you, you said something so, so, um, so poignant. About the leap, that you made the leap as opposed to your father. That's kind of like, that's kind of like why my family hates me. It's that I'm willing to make those leaps that they're so afraid. I mean, don't no offense, they made the leap to, to bring me here, but then, you know, there's certain things that they did that just, you know, that they just weren't like brave enough to move beyond what well, we're here. And, and the same thing, like, I guess with you and law and, and me and comedy was kind of like in it for so long. And then when you start to become disillusioned, you're like, okay, do I actually stay in this? Cause I don't believe in this anymore. Or do I make a jump? And that's where it kind of like, you know, the hate comes from when you make that jump that you don't want to be in that circle anymore. You're like, this isn't, if you guys can live in this, that's fine, but I can't anymore. Yeah. I don't know. In my case, it's not even a conscious decision. It's just, it just becomes impossible to keep doing that. When I was leaving Russia, I originally came here to study. Dad yeah. set me down and he said, do not come back. And I was like, what do you mean? You, you didn't leave. You brought me up that this is our country. We're going to make things better here. And he said, if I knew then what I know now, I would have left. Oh, he was telling you don't come back in the sense yeah. that he loves you like. Yeah, stay in America. Don't come back. Like, don't, don't do this to yourself. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Damn, nobody's ever loved me enough. <laughs> Never mind. Just like, give me the... I, I, I tagged along here. I don't think I was actually brought here because they wanted a better life. They were just like, ah, nobody will take him. Fuck. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, so my, my, my reason for bringing... Yeah, like, my reason for coming was very different. Like, mine was just like, my mom was trying to escape her, her brutality. Okay, so let's transition to your story yes so why i came here no no that that was one of the reasons like my mom was in a very abusive relationship with my dad and it was a, it was a very chaotic thing but she basically created this whole escape plan where you know she was like hey and, well actually my grandmother did it my mom was like so my dad's like you know you like to drink whatever stay in dr i'm gonna be in america working you know and he was like sounds good to me and but he was like cheating and stuff so she created concocted this whole plan where my grandmother essentially kidnapped me and my sister and then brought us here and then my mom, after, after I came here, she basically like dipped on me. She was like, all right, you're here now, bye. And then she didn't raise me. I was raised by like various people. So I had a very confusing like child. Like, why would you bring me here? And then not even raise me. You just like brought me here like, good luck, buddy. I gave you America. And it was very confusing. I had to figure out being undocumented and living with different people and not having my parents around. 
and just being like raised by the New York City streets. It was a very chaotic like youth, you know. So how old were you when that happened? I was six. Like yeah, my like seriously, like it was it was shocking. I didn't even know I was leaving. You know, I'm sorry. I, I talk about this as a joke, but thinking about it as like it was literally like one day my grandma was like, "Wake up, you're you're going back to America today." I'm we're going to the airport. And I was like, oh, "Okay, I mean, you know, whatever. I'm not gonna question it too much." And then it was just like, you're in New York City now, and you live here now with your auntie and uncle. And my mom would come around sporadically. And I was like, okay, I'm here now. I was like, all right, you go to the school now. That's five blocks away, so we don't even really care what kind of school it is. And it was like a horrible school with getting beat up all the time and just, you know, whatever. So and then it became just kind of like, all right, now you're going to live with your grandma. All right, now you're going to live with your auntie and uncle again. Okay, now you're going to live with your mom for a little while, but she's a drug dealer. So I was like, I don't want to live here with you. I'm good. I actually chose... On my own to move out of my mom's house when I was 12 and then again when I was 17. And I was like, I'm old enough to live on my own now, right? Because I don't like this chaoticness of nobody wanting to keep me around. So I'm just going to go. Um, we're good, right? I actually tell my mom, I was like, we're good, right? Like, we're good. <laughs> and I left when I was like 17 and a half. I was like, we're good. You don't have to worry about me anymore. Thank you for bringing me here. Wow. I got it. That is intense. That's mean. It's pretty mean the way, you know. They'll, they'll act now like it wasn't like that. But, you know, it's very easy for them to feel like they, well, we were working and we brought you here. So, yeah, it's difficult with parents. It is. It really is. It really And, it, and it's hard. I mean, you know, how it is like I, I've actually learned that my parents grew up during a dictatorship. So they're very like they're messed up. Like they're they're actually like survivalists. Like just they're, they're, I can understand how they're just all about the moment and surviving and what's the next thing and what's the next thing and not forward thinking too too much yeah i think they were chaotic and now in their older lives i can tell that they have regrets and and i am nice to them i'm not mean to them at all i'm like hey man like you live during a dictatorship and i I get that like it's it's a little much so brutality was they they told me not them but my grandmother has told me about the brutality and that she saw from trujillo which that was the dictator during the 50s and 60s which was right my dad was born in 52 so he grew up during one of the presidents that was a notorious rapist like if you had a sister, they were like, watch out. He's going to rape your sister. This president. And my dad grew up in that mentality that I am a man. If my president can be a sexual predator, I could be a male sexual predator. So, like, my dad had that psyche that, like, he grew up during his formative years of this brutal rapist. My dad, honestly, was kind of like a, this ladies' man, but yeah. in a very kind of, like, charming but insidious way that, that unfortunately seeped into my mother's life. And he, he, he can't see that. Like he can't even, because I see the way a president affects psyche and the way people think they could just be racist. Imagine if your president was an open, brutal attacker to women like that. So you think that what you do is mild compared to your president. Wow. You know what I mean? Like it creates this psyche of how you think a man should be. And then you just live your rest of your life like that without accountability. It is a very interesting point. And I can totally project this, you know, extrapolate that kind of to, to Russia. It never occurred to me that, I mean, now that you've said that, it's it's totally clear, but uh, it never occurred to me that the president sets this example to men to be that way. It does. It does, actually. Like, if, if, like JFK had low-key second wife. He was fucking honeys on the side. All the dudes in the 50s were like, my president fucks a honey on the side. I fuck a honey on the side. Do you know what I mean? It trickles down. You know, all these, all these Trump supporters who got AK-47, I'm a big man. That's because they think their president thinks like that of himself. He loves seeing himself with those rocky things and he's a fucking, that's why I'm scared of any guy in a MAGA hat because he has this psyche of his brutality in his mind. Yes. I love Obama. Oh God, I want him back so much. Oh, I miss Hamilton at the White House. Ah. Yeah. 
You know, and I've been lucky. I've been lucky. You know, like I, I actually, you know, I grew up in America. Also, I grew up in America like during Clinton, which is like, yeah, he was like, you know, like, you know, and there was these, these presidents that were these mild mannered men who kind of like had this respectability to them. So you kind of like trickle down like this. Oh, look at this aura of what a higher achieving person is with these morals. So you kind of like start to be like, well, this person is not like the last person. You know what I mean? But if you have somebody for 40 years, that's all they do. You start to think that that's just this normality of what it is. Yeah. Well, and it's also seeps in their mind that that's how it should go and that they get to tell everybody that this is how it goes. Exactly. It's dangerous. That's why changing presidents is so important. I think, I, honestly, yeah, I, it honestly changes the DNA of how we behave. We're going to keep plugging votes into this. <laughs> yeah, you got to vote. It does. It trickles down, man. Especially That's why it was so weird during during a candidacy of like one one. Hillary Clinton was like, hey, I just want to give you guys health care. We'll figure that out. And the other guy's like, carnage. And during that intermedium, America's like, all right, who's the new parent? Like, we want to go with the crazy guy. We want to live with the crazy guy for a little while. You know, like, we should live with mom. Mom would have been so much nicer. The mom did, just didn't sound like fun. So we'll just go with crazy. Oh, yeah. For a bit. Yeah. And I think it, it, it just, you know, went further. Um, so I'm just trying to figure out how do we get back into talking about your immigration story. Do you remember how, what was the idea of America when you were brought here? What was the vision? Honestly, to be real with you, I wish I wish I had been, I don't know, like, I wish I had been taught about it or something, because to me, it, America was just the place we came to escape our dad. So that's just that's just as far as I thought. My mom knew what it was. My mom knew money, opportunities, but to me, it was just, honestly, I wasn't, I wasn't raised by anyone. You know, I was really raised by my friends and they didn't have a lot of ambition in life. So this whole, like, what was taught to me about it was just, there was a country that was George Washington, Jefferson, and Hamilton. They did it all. It was all of them. Really, like, that, like I, I'm almost mad at myself how much I loved Hamilton when it first came out. Like, oh my God, oh my God, did I love it? Did I love it so much? It's so great. And then, you know, I'm a kid from New York, you know, hip hop. I'm like, whatever's hip hop, it's fine. And then you start to realize like, oh yeah, Hamilton created pretty much the entire economic system that was the slave trade. He helped tax it. He helped, you know, inflate it. He helped, you know, make it a bureaucracy. So, you know what I mean? It's this kind of thing where you're like, you know, what I learned from America growing up was this, you know, full house, you know, George Washington crossed the Delaware and, you know, Big Macs are the shit. And then it was, honestly, it wasn't until four years ago that I even started to question, what the fuck was I taught? Like, I, I went to the worst schools in New York City. I say a lot because, like, it just, it, now that I'm in school, it just, it shocks me. Like, when I took, when I took the placement exam at community college, they were like, hey, you, you just failed the reading and writing. And I was like, that seems about right. <laughs> they, were like, they were like, you could take it again and, like, and maybe you could pass it. And then I'll have to take these remedial college classes. And I was like, no, 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 my man. Trust me, I, I told them, I was like, I know I need remedial classes. Like, don't even try to put me in regular class. Sure enough, I went in there, I was like, I don't know how to use a comma. I don't know how to use this. I don't know how to use that. Like, and it just started to dawn on me on how much every step of the way, it's just an entire system that fails you where like every teacher in front of you is white and every officer around you is white. And you're just in these systems that you're like, yeah, I'm just an illegal documented boy that they just, they have to give healthcare too. And they have to put in a school and they think they're doing it out of the kindness of their heart, but they're giving me absolutely zero chance at a real education. Like it was like, I had teachers in high school who would like just fucking sleep during class. And then like, I would remember I would have to, yeah, I would have teachers just reading people magazine all day and then be like, 
all right, well, we have these regions and which is like these, these exams. And they'll be like, you guys really need to read a book. And they'll put us like to read like fifth grade reading level stuff. And we were like seniors in high school. And like, you can guys can finagle because you need two stories to compare and contrast during the regions for the state. And this will work. And it was like really some of the most just horrible. Like I just, I got through everything just barely getting by, just barely getting by. Because I knew that if you put some kind of work in, in these hood schools, that teacher would see you as somebody who's trying and they'll just write, they'll write a, a C plus next to that C. Wow. You know, so I got by and as soon as I was done, I was like, can I go to college? They're like, you're undocumented. And I was like, then I'm good. I'm done getting educated. And it wasn't until like, you know, four years ago, my girlfriend was like, you need to read a fucking book, you moron. And I was like, hey, I went to public school. She's like, you need to stop using that as an excuse. You need to read a goddamn book. And I did. And I was like, oh. I thought public schools were decent on the East Coast. I'm hearing horror stories here, but. Oh, um... no. New York City is the fakest fucking city in uh, in the world. They'll they'll act like there's this shining pillar of American excellency. But you got a brown kid like me with mad talent, can sing. I can't sing, but can dance. I'm funny. I like to write. I'm like, I, I have entire classrooms. Let me tell you this. This is something that I, I like to tell people. So I went to school from the second I got here in third grade in New York City to my last semester of senior year. So all I knew was shitty, right? And then my last six months, I got into a little trouble. It's almost like a Fresh Prince of Bel-Air shit where like a gang wanted to kill me. So I had to go live with my mom who was selling drugs in Chicago at the time. Like outside, it was the suburbs outside of Chicago, right? But so she, for a very short while, lived in a nice neighborhood, right? So when I got to Illinois, it was my first time ever leaving New York City. So I went to Illinois and I went to a high school that had money. And I was like, I was one of the few brown kids in that school so you know they had money. So it was, and then like, it was amazing, right? It was, it was incredible. Textbooks were great. Computer labs. I was like, that, but that wasn't what blew me away. This is what blew me away. They were putting on that weekend, my first week of school, they were putting on a, product, a production okay. of Cats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the yeah. play Cats, you know, like the, the movie. Like, yeah, so, 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 but back, so rewind to about two years before. In my high school back in, in New York City, we put on a, we put on a production of Grease. Right, where it was like, all right, who has a leather jacket? And I was like, I think I got a leather jacket. All right, who can make a couple of cutouts? And who wants to play these parts? And there was like four of us and a black girl played Danny, which I thought was pretty freaking progressive. And it was it was very shitty. Like nobody showed up. And it was just, it was, it was honestly, it was, it was just us and Jackets being like, hey, and that was it. So when I went to this nice high school, I thought I was gonna see a shitty production of cats, like the one me and my friends put on back in our shitty high school. Yo, I'm telling you right now. When those lights dimmed and the fog machine turned on and, and the set opened, at that point, I couldn't tell what was going on internally. But inside of me, I knew I was robbed of something as a child. I just couldn't put my finger on it because my entire life, I loved performing. I, my parents, I, I'm telling you, my mom, I remember this, I remember this so vividly. One time, I, my car, my, me and my mom were in a car and the car broke down and it was in front of this giant Macy's window and in front of it, I started dancing, right? I started doing like Michael Jackson moves while we were waiting for the, for like the, the, the tow truck. And my mom just looked at me and went, you like to dance? And I went, yeah. And she went, okay. And never talked about it again. Uh. Like, and, and that's the thing I realized, like when I saw that play, I realized that I, I, I wanted to perform. I want to fucking perform. Why hasn't there ever been a fucking opportunity in my life for me to perform? And like, I left that play that, oh my God, their costumes were amazing. And, and, oh, it was great. And I left that play crying. 
and I didn't know why I was crying. I still couldn't, I still didn't know I was robbed, but I just felt like, why was, the, why was I crying? Mm. And that's just how I felt my whole life. Like I was just robbed of so many opportunities because of just everybody's decision around me. And then one day they just threw me to the wolves and like, now you're fucking 18. You're undocumented. Fuck you. We didn't teach you. We didn't raise you. We didn't love you. Fuck you. And you're a brown boy. Good luck. See how many times the police mistreat you. Time and time again have I been mistreated by the police. Kept and locked up because I didn't know how to speak for myself. God forbid a cop put my hand on me right now. My, girl, my white girlfriend's like, excuse me? Don't you dare fucking touch him. But before, chokeholds all that shit to me because I didn't know how to defend myself. It was being raised to think that you're less than. Yeah. Well, I, I can imagine. I mean, I'm you know? a white girl. At least I pass as a white girl, even though I am of Jewish descent. Yeah. And in Russia, I'm a Jew face. Uh, but in America, I pass oh. as a white girl, um, which I realized very, very quickly, as most people who come from Russia, come from European white countries, you find out that you're white. I had no idea I was white when I was living over there. It's not, first of mm -hmm. all, it's not really a thing. Mm -hmm. Second, my dad was a second class citizen in Soviet Union because he was a Jew. You know, I kind of can imagine the experience, but I, I, it's completely it's crazy to me to see how much race impacts the experience here. Yeah. And it, yeah, it just, that's, that's the thing that took me a while to realize, like, you know, when I saw my, my comedy be something that I was proud of and then I saw the backlash, it made me, it took me a while to be realized like, Oh, I, I saw the moment where like, I, I saw how the comedy scene was viewing me was when I was being used for a sketch that actually went viral where I was the coon and it was used for very in, on, on Trump sites, pro-Trump sites, which were very nasty to immigrants. And I didn't realize that. I was actually lied to. I thought the sketch was going to be one thing. And then when it got edited and it aired, it was very nasty. And it was, it was, it was, it was horrible. Like, it was one of the worst things I've ever done in my career. Oh, my God. But the one thing, yeah, it's bad. Like, it, it's, I, I, and I did it for $100, which is, when that happens, like, wow, I sold my heart. I sold my image. I sold out my people for $100. This is unbelievable. But what hurt the most was, the main guy in the sketch, the main racist, I will call him of all this, was the guy who got fired from Saturday Night Live for being racist after he got hired three days later. Oh. Yeah, Shane Gillis, it was him. So the thing that hurt the most was I start, I have easily 10 years on this guy. Him and I know the same exact people in comedy, but all I ever got recommended for were for degrading sketch and that white dude, even though he was racist, bigoted, homophobic, got pushed by his other bigoted, racist, homophobic friends all the way to Saturday Night Live. So you have, I think, two good comedians. I, I won't say he wasn't a good comedian, but you have one that is AKA problematic because he speaks on race in a more, we need to do better tone. And one who talks about race in a fun, fuck black people, fuck women, fuck Asians. And he goes all the way to Saturday Night Live because he looks like that typical John Belushi frat boy that you know, that you've come to know and love in your white movies. So it just becomes this thing where I, when I saw that happening, that was, that was the thing that broke me most was when I saw he got to Saturday Night Live and I was the one that was made to look like a coon in this video. It was like, that just showed me exactly what this industry likes. Wow. And who they're willing to go into bed with. But we are making some progress. 
progress I mean, is very fake in, in entertainment. It's, it's fake in entertainment because it'll be in front of the camera where they'll have one brown person, but then everybody writing their words or shooting their scenes or holding their mic is still a white man. So you still get a lot of your your being being transferred through a white lens. So it's still very difficult to to feel fully represented when it's still very filtered, you know? Like 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 somebody will use Sofia Vergara on Modern Family, like, look, she was on Modern Family. Like, yeah, but every single joke was her fucking accent. You know what I mean? Every yeah. and it's still, mm -hmm. you know, so and you still don't see a lot of Latinx representation in things. And if it is, it's still mostly like like one of the most insulting things to me where people would be like, Oh, maybe you shouldn't be so political then. Why don't you try to be like Tracy Morgan? And I'm like, why is it, and no offense, Tracy Morgan, why is it that the only type of person of color you want to see is a is like a black dude who's willing to be a little slow and dumb? Because uh, it's comfy. Slow and dumb is, oh, yeah, it's comfortable. It's where they want us, slow and dumb. You know? And that's what, like, that's what really hurt. When I saw Shane, and I also use his name, when I saw Shane Gillis get Saturday Night Live, I, I, it, it almost, I almost cried as much as that time that I found that I that watched Cats and I realized something was stolen from me because that's the moment I realized it's, it's not me that I'm not good or it's not that I'm not putting in the work. It's that there's this system that likes propping up this white dude, no matter how shitty he is as a human fucking being yeah. and won't give the sort of, you know, the, give the chance to somebody like myself who might be, might make people some, feel uncomfortable, but you know what, at the end of the day, he's a great writer, he's genuine, and he, he wants something different than the kind of status quo that this white dude is wants. Yeah. You know? D um, did you ever address that video publicly? Did you do anything with it? Yeah, very much so. Yeah, I, I addressed it. First of all, I did a big apology to the communities, because I like to think of myself as an activist. Like, I'm really sorry to the communities that I've heard, like, I, you know, I, I never meant to do this. Like, you know, and I even, you know, it's funny because actually it happened two years ago and then it, the Facebook re pops up. So it actually happened like two weeks ago, two years ago. But mm -hmm. so, so I reread what I first wrote. So what I first wrote was like, look, we all worked really hard that day and it was a long sketch. And I'm pretty sure that we didn't know where it was going to end up. You know, I love you all. I never meant to disrespect anybody. Kumbaya, fart rainbows, right? And then two years later, I come to realize like those guys knew exactly the platform that was going to be on. Nobody ever apologized to me. Like they, they, they stopped booking me and talking to me. All those dudes. And then it comes back up and I'm like, you know what? Fuck all of you. Actually, I was being way too nice on this post. You knew how you used me. And then, of course, you know, people are like, let's not follow him anymore because he's being all right. Because you know what's funny? People like to think that you're bringing stuff up two years later just to be a fucking little bitch about it. But sometimes you don't have the words to contextualize what happened to you two years later and how you were abused. Absolutely. You know what I mean? How you were mistreated. So it's like, so I had two years to realize that, first of all, nobody apologized to me. And that's something that I'm like, yo. And then, first of all, the biggest racist got all the way to Saturday Night Live, which is another thing that I'm like, so you, you see how this was never going to be on my side. Nobody were ever going to be on my side. Yeah. You know, it's, it just becomes this thing where you're just like, you know, and I, and I see it and I hate to talk about this, but I see it with my girlfriend's family. You know, like I remember, I remember this is something so great that just showed me exactly how white people think. I was, I was hanging out. And by the way, I'm saying this very openly because I know her mother will never watch anything that I do that has to do with immigration. So anyways, I'm saying this very openly. So I went over there for Thanksgiving and I was reading the autobiography of Malcolm X, one of the greatest autobiographies I've ever read in my life. I love this story. And I had it face down on the table and this is what she does. She goes, oh, hey, what are you reading? No! <laughs> and puts it down. 
said no mad loud put it down and never talked about the book i was reading the rest of the trip i was there i read it in front of her she never once asked me did malcolm get shot yet did, did, did malcolm get no that goes to show me like you don't even want to know what the fuck's in my head because it's going to make you uncomfortable oh for sure well the thing is you were saying you know what the hell is in our heads it comes up a lot with the me too stuff that oh why didn't she speak up before yeah. The messed up thing about the abuse is that a lot of times you don't even know that you're being abused. Yes. While you're being abused. That is why you are in that situation of being abused because people who are abusers find you. They seek you out. They see you as a person who is gullible or susceptible. Ambitious in a way that they can manipulate. Yeah, yeah. Manipulatable, yeah, can be brought into that. Yeah. And that is the abuse. That is what I heard the most because, yeah, my nickname back as a kid used to be Bambi. Oh. Because I used to, I trust people so much. I love people. I, I, I've never met a person I, I don't like. And which is why my girlfriend's like, uh, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you figure out who's good or who's good. Oh my God. Can she help me too, please? <laughs> I just love, and that's how I get abused. And that's why, you know, for, you know, when you live a life for 10 years, when you're willing to play that part and then you're not anymore, you got you to deal with those repercussions. And it hurt at first to see that backlash from the comedy. But, you know, but honestly, to be real with you, let's not be all gloom and doom. I found a great theater community that loves my voice. And I found that the kind of uh, voice that I do have works better in a theater setting where you have artsy people who are like, we want to hear story. We want to hear passion. We want to hear you expand as opposed to comedy clubs who are like, come on, man, talk about sex. You know, so that's a, that's a very different crowd. I need a little more artsy fartsy crowd to kind of understand where I'm coming from with my feelings. I think that comedy is a great training in a, in a similar way, the way I view my law school as the training for whatever is coming next. And I, I'm sure the speed that you have taught your brain to work on as a comedian who's been working stage will be an amazing asset to you as an activist as a as a fighter for human rights or by the way how do you see your career what 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 are you going for honestly i i don't know but i just i just want to help people honestly i don't know like i just i just want to help people i don't even know what that's going to end up in the end but i just know that like this whole sitting at home and just tweeting shit just wasn't for me. I was like, look, if, if I don't like the way immigrants are being treated at the border, I better learn what it is exactly that they're doing at the border to allow such you know, evil to, to persist. So I just, I just want to get involved somehow in movement and organizing and activism. Like, so I just, you know, I, 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 I actually found this out recently because I, like I said, I work for a theater. So they, um, they actually brought all their shows digitally mm -hmm. and they are creating these platforms. So, so, I, so I was hired as a mm -hmm. writer and I'm starting to realize that like, I'm really great as like an, like an executive. Like you give me a task and I'm like, I got you, I'll do it. Don't worry about it. Like I'll be, I'll be your attack dog. So like, I'm really good at that role. So I would love to work. I would love to work for like a politician mm -hmm. or something be like, you know, we're going to work on immigration reform. I need you to like, you know, you know, guest group together. We're going to talk about what kind of like reforms they would like. And I'm like, I got you, bro. I'm going to get you a thousand immigrants. Like, don't worry about it. You know what I mean? Like that, that kind of, I, I, how do we get movement going to the progress? How do we get people to the promised land? I actually rather be part of the how do we get you there kind of movements. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I just don't know exactly where that where that's gonna uh wind up, but uh but I'll but I'll be all right. I'll figure it out. You know, I'm still helping people in any way I can every day. I'm I mean, I'm 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 going to court with my own apartment complex for being racist, so I'm fighting like 
you know, I'm fighting ba racist battles every fucking day everywhere I go. So it's not, it's not this. Uh, hold on, hold on. Tell me about what, what, what was that? There, I, the apartment complex I lived in, these neighbors have been racist to me for three years. And finally, like, I threw a fucking grenade and I just, at the, so we have this community pool. And one of the racist people said something to this little black boy and said, I want the fucking chocolate kid out of the fucking pool. And it was this really racist situation. So I got in the middle of it. And I actually, so there was like 18 white people there. And I actually like, like got out of the pool on this little platform. And I was like, I want to tell all of y'all that I have felt your racism for three years. And I am fucking tired of it. You called this kid a chocolate boy to his face. And you knew that's not what you meant to say. And yo, everybody in my apartment complex is white, like wants to fucking kill me. So I had to like report these things. Like I'm, I, I talked to like people in the NAACP of what I should do, because it's not just me. It's this harassment against people of color. And the fact that we can't leave our apartment complex, it's just been exacerbated. Like black people around here are getting constantly like, they're walking too loud upstairs. I'm like, in black families, like, how do I walk too loud? I don't have heavier feet. What the fuck? You know, like, so it's just this, this, this constant harassment around here that I'm even like, I'm, I'm, I've, I've organized people in this neighborhood to, to, to go against the property. Like I'm, I'm in talks with like people that if I have to like sue them because they're not even acknowledging it. Like the white people who work here are defending the white racists who live here, who've lived and been friends for 14 years. So I'm like, so you guys are in cahoots. You know what I mean? You're, everybody in this office is white. Everybody who's racist against us is white, obviously. Uh, so whenever they do something racist to us, they weaponize. I know it sounds silly, but I'm starting to realize how white people like to weaponize authority. So you know what I mean? They like to be like, well, I'm bothered by this black person, so I'm not going to do it. So I'm going to get X, Y, Z to do it. And it just, and I was just tired of the weaponization. I told him that very specifically in a letter, you keep weaponizing your whiteness against us. You're all friends for a long time. So I'm in this big battle with my complex. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. so, you know, now that's, uh, you know, race, yeah. uh, there's, there, there are uh, four things that I am perpetually fascinated, not in a good way about America. Cause mm -hmm. um, I came here after graduating college. So I had a whole experience of life back there and then I come here and it's a very yeah. different reality so the four things that jumped at me were race religion guns and money oh wow wait how is money different here money governs well let's put it this way obviously money runs the world everywhere and if you're rich as, as they right, say yeah. you know if you're rich and healthy anywhere in the world it's much better than being you know poor and sick that's a russian saying uh, <laughs> oh. um and that's true everywhere but the way financial system is set up to control you is very different here for example in the most basic way if you don't have credit you cannot rent an apartment Oh, I mean, I'm going through this right now. So check this out. Like, let, 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 so like, and that's like a you know, simple, so small thing. Or, and, and then it's no. throughout the system, throughout your life. Like the biggest thing right now, like the biggest, yeah, I mean, perfectly how system are kind of like, like put against you. Like, like, like a perfect example right now, like biggest thing to, to come out of poverty yeah. is home ownership, right? We are in the most, they're talking about once in a generation opportunity yeah. to own a home, right? When the pandemic hit, I started, I used to be a nursing assistant back in New York City. And I, I, I left that to become a full-time comedian. But then when the pandemic hit, I renewed all my CNA licenses and I went back to working as a CNA, cleaning butt. During COVID, I wanted to help people. I, I was raised by my grandmother most of my years. So I have a really big, big, big love in my heart for like senior citizens. Mm -hmm. And I know nursing homes are the most, the places where they get brutalized. So when I heard that they were also being hit the hardest with COVID, I was like, 
I want to work in nursing homes. Send oh me God. there. So, so I went in there, you know, and then you're so a learning, saint. You know, I'm terrified. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. Trust me. Like I'm there every day. Just like God, not today, but you know, cause we have no, no real protection, no face shield. The, the gowns are hot. There's no air conditioner. Like, honestly, I'm not even lying to you almost two to three times a day. I like, I'm cleaning a patient cause it takes a very long time. And I have to look at the patient cause I'm wearing a face shield, a mask that's very uncomfortable, like a gown that is, that is reusable, but it's shitty. So it doesn't breathe well. And there's no air conditioner and it's 90 degrees outside. So it's 110 in the room. And I have to tell the patient, like, I have to stop cleaning you because I need to, I need to rip this gown off. Cause I can't, my skin can't breathe. Like I have to like rip it off and go outside of the building and just be like outside. Just like for a few minutes, just so I can breathe again. So I'm doing all this during a COVID crisis. Right. And then I, I'm, I looked into owning a home and I am not able to get a loan because I need two year work history and they don't consider comedy a real job. Oh, okay, but Uncle Sam can take my tax dollars, right? They can, they can tax me on that bitch, right? But it's not enough. But I also work for a theater, right? So I'm still making money. But they're like, no, no, we can't even count that income because it's not, it's not a real job. I'm like, I'm, I work for a theater as a writer. How is that not? Okay, fine. Then my credit was, so I fixed my credit. My credit's great. But then they're like, well, you don't have this much money. You don't have this much money. And also, you, you need two years. You need two years to work at a job full-time unless the job is salary. Then you only need to work there three months. So I'm like, so I can't get a home because even though I'm risking my life during the COVID crisis, like I haven't been doing it for two years. I was doing it for 10, stopped for three and back, but they don't see it as like, they don't count the 10. You're fucked. Unless you're, you're a white dude who gets a salary job, which is the most of the men who get those jobs, then you can get a nice loan or whatever for after three months of, of, of income, not two years for us hourly workers. Yeah. That's. So that's the kind of way where you're like, yeah, it is all financially. Yeah. Fuck you, yeah, fuck you, fuck you. That's what I'm saying. That's yeah. that's one of those things. I mean, in Russia, <laughs> loans are not as accessible, and you know, the interest on the I don't know what it is now, but it used to be, you know, on a um, mortgage, the interest would be like ten percent. Um, yeah. Oh, wow. You, you you know, you when you think about numbers like that, you're like, that doesn't seem like a lot. But then when you like, when I'm doing the math now to get a home, and they're like. You can't you can't go over three hundred dollars in property taxes a month. And I'm like, what the fuck does property taxes have to do with anything? And you look at shit like this, and they're like, yeah, two percent, three percent. Like, yeah, I was getting an interest rate of two point eight if I got this house. Like, you know what I mean? That's that's nothing compared. Yeah, to yeah. So like, and people didn't even think about that kind of you know thing. But in general, just you, f the most basic things like access to healthcare, access to education. It is not in Russia, for example, and many other countries. It is not. Um, defined by your income. Like there is reasonable public education that is now less so. There is really? reasonable medical, now worse. Oh, I'm saying, do you guys have like a, like a plan for, for like, is there like a public option for you guys? It's just national healthcare system. See, I didn't, I, yeah, see, that's, we don't have yeah. like a national. See, thing. like that's for you, like, you're like, what, how do you get? What do you mean like a national? <laughs> Well, that's like, you know what's funny? People in this country are all uproar about their fucking mail, that, that getting, getting your, your prescription is a, is a human right, but being healthy and being able to afford that is not a human right. The way this country like picks and chooses what the hell the human oh, rights are. Oh, it is, is very, very interesting. It is peculiar, indeed. It is peculiar, indeed. Because yeah. <laughs> you're right, like we have UPS, but we don't have a national health care. Yeah, and, and th those are things that you, from outside, again, my friends in Russia, they don't realize that it is like that. Even my dad, who told me not to come back, and I actually 
still wanted to come back then you know life happened and unfolded and many things happened and you know now i've been here for 10 years but um he doesn't realize what it is like here he's like what do you mean like what insurance well get a job and well dad not every job provides an insurance and um even if a job has to provide insurance, they'll figure a way not to. And if they do, it's a shitty yeah. one. And then your copay is like through the roof. And and he's like, what? What is copay? It's kind of true. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. You know what's funny? Like, I, I guess it's an American thing where we think other countries are just by default shit. No offense. So I thought Russia, like, I thought you guys were the uproar because you had like no health care. You have no this. I, I guess I understand why there is no real uproar because there is some kind of normality and there is god people can really live in some kind of normality and totally be cool with it that's how putin got them stability wow that's how he got them yeah stability that's how you get them that's why people in america still love trump because their their retirement plan is still looking good not for long their home not for long if, if he keeps going the way it is yeah that, no i get it and by the way trump's not smart enough to get people options and and i guess programs that are actually make them like them he just knows how to take away until until it breaks he, he never yeah that's why his business is always, always broke that's I mean that is the hope, but that's just what he does with everything. He just he just keeps going until it breaks. Like the hope is that people realize it in time and vote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we <laughs> and vote and vote. Please, dear God, vote. Oh my God, I wish I could have voted this year. I'm gonna, I'm actually thinking about doing like a mock voting thing with me and my son and like our like you know like just doing like a little fake shoebox and I'm gonna vote Biden and like put it in the box and then we're gonna reveal the winner of our of our uh, you know our national poll at the house. <laughs> you were gonna tell me about some book that you were reading. Oh, it's called, it's called On Tyranny by uh, Timothy Snyder. It's a great, it's a, it's a very small book, but it's a great, honestly, it was the, the best thing I could have read to see what Trump is doing to try and become this sort of like dictator that he wants, this tyrannical person that he wants to be. And uh, it's funny when I tell like Trump supporters about this sort of like way that I view Trump now as a, uh, a Hitler light, you know, like, oh, you know, all the Hitler, half the calories, you know, something that Timothy Snyder talked about, which is don't obey in advance. Yeah. You know what I mean? You need to question, but a lot of Americans are already obeying in advance. Trump says jump and they go, how high? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So that's why like if, if, if Putin and, and Trump goes, the EU is our enemy, these fucking cuckolds over in France with their goddamn, you know, baguettes don't like the way you live over here as Americans. We need to go fucking fight them with our, with our boy Putin. I think most Americans might be like, fuck yeah. You know what? I think I am tired of those baguette motherfuckers telling me I need to lower my air supply and and stop, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I, you know, I, I very easily see Americans becoming these assholes that team up and it's just, and you're right, he is more dangerous because now if you can, if you can get Americans to believe the ideology that we do need to drop a nuke on France because, or, or Canada, the way Trudeau is respect, disrespecting our president, I, I live in here, I know now you can sell people on that fucking idea. They'll obey in advance. That is the most terrifying thing. And when, to me, again, as somebody who came from Russia, when Trump came to power, was rising to power. I saw very similar things to what how Putin was doing things and how Putin was um, manipulating uh, the public opinions in his early years and throughout. Like, and and the actions in the political system, like the way he just started destroying the courts or not letting them function, or and and I just keep watching it and I'm like, this is the most unpleasant deja vu one can imagine is it is a growing dictatorship mm -hmm. you, know, you know it's funny i was watching this i like watching documentaries on uh on, on netflix and uh there was one about how humans get to the future where computers do everything including write laws 
and make decisions on court cases that, that we're actually going to create algorithms that are going to like, and actually that kind of, that kind of like, at first I was like, that's crazy. But now that I hear you talking, that kind of makes sense because if we had a machine in front of us and we go is X, Y, Z, and these are the facts, a crime and a machine goes yes or no. I think that's a lot better. If we know what X or, or, or Z is instead of, us making up and being able to change the rules so then it can always be fluid so then people can use it. You know what I mean? Like, I, I know maybe the law thing might be horrible to think about, Don't but here's, what, here's one, okay, here's one that I agree on. Here's what, tax laws, okay? Let's just say we got a machine to write an algorithm to be like, all right, well, if you create these laws, it's obvious gonna hurt people of color most because people of color do X, Y, Z most. So those laws cannot be passed. So like, I'm saying like, I was watching that documentary going like, there is gonna be a certain point where we are gonna have to give machines a certain level of responsibility to come up with our, our sort of infrastructure. We already did that. We did? I believe we already did because the way Facebook and other social networks, their algorithms are promoting certain things and the way they create those echo chambers that certain ideas percolate in, and they don't even fully realize how those algorithms impact society. This is the the future happening already. Those are the machines. The algorithms are the machines that are already running our world. Mm. Oh, so you think like, but that makes sense. Like, I mean, our laws should probably should be created within the same algorithm. Like, hey, look, a lot of people are clicking on these laws. Let's just, the laws is this now. You know what I mean? Like, cause it kind of, cause you, like I'm saying, like, yeah. you're saying that Putin was able to break away at our institutions and so was Trump. So it just tells you how easy it is for one person to come in and be like, no, nope, I don't like the rule of law. And you're like, what the fuck? We had this whole system set up. Now this one asshole is gonna come around and now it's all gone? Well, it's not, wait, it's not. It's not. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not yeah, I'm not cynical or I'm not a narcissist and be like, it's all over. No, no, I know there's still a lot to fight for. There's still a hell of a, but it's just, it's just kind of those things that shows you like, wow, it's really is easy for one person to come by and just, and just throw a monkey wrench into it. And it's scary. It's fragile. So tell me, what is the best thing that you feel that you got from coming here? Um. I know I am thankful. Like I, you know, I, I like my life is. Uh, I don't know how how I stumbled into an amazing life, but like I'm very happy. Like I got a great partner. I got a, I got a couple of kids who are just the greatest, and I do pride myself in being like you got a good mind on you, dude. Like you really are, you know, a, a smart smart dude. So however I landed up in the situation, I'm just like I'm happy that it did. I don't know. I you know I think it is true. I think it would have been America because I remember the schools back at home. Even though, even though they're worse, they were pretty bad here. I remember what it was back in DR. It was it was very like cylinder blocks and a sheet of metal and the teacher read from a textbook and then read from a Bible. So it was a lot of like, you know, it was a very mixed Catholic, very, so whatever my mom's reasons for bringing me here, I, I, I got lucky. That's like whenever I like see kids on cages at the border, it breaks my heart because I know I am a dumb fuck who got lucky. You know what I mean? Like, you know, my mom brought me here. I also, I'm, I'm a light, like, I'm not, I'm not like, um, my girlfriend told me, she's like, you look black. And I'm like, I realized that actually saved me because I didn't look Mexican. I don't look Honduran. I don't look like I'm from Peru. So I wasn't harassed for my papers the way they are. Like I've, I've been out with my, with my, um, with like my, uh, my brother-in-law who's Mexican, like, and he's here illegally. And like, I'll walk away and there'll be like, cops will be harassing him, asking for papers. And I'll be like, I'll come in and like, yo, what's going on? And they'll be like, oh no, he was just talking to him or whatever. And I'm like, all right. But they don't talk to me like that because they have no idea that I'm also undocumented. I'm just like, what up, son? What are you talking about man for? You know what I mean? Like, because I had that privilege. You know what I mean? And that's that's the kind of thing that I realized, like, I, I, I've had this privilege of living in this country and being able to see it from this, this perspective not a lot of people get to, you know? So I find myself very lucky. And if I go back to DR, you know, get deported or go back on my own, I, I just, 
I don't know. I want to help out people. So wherever I go, I'm just, I'm just glad that I got a chance to go as far as I've had so far and, and develop my mind the way I have. That's all. Where, where, if that would happen somewhere other country, I have maybe, but I'm just glad I got to do it. I think that's a, that's a great place to wrap. Any lingering thoughts? Uh, no, just, uh, I mean, thank you for having me. That was a lot of fun. It was, it was kind of good to be able to talk about my experience. Cause sometimes like, you know, that's, that's what sucks when people are like, I don't see color. And you're just like, can you just not see my experience? Cause that's what you're, what's what you're, you're doing. You're belittling my experience, you know? So, so I'm glad you guys let me share a lot of, uh, a lot of what it is. Absolutely. No, actually I, I wanted to, to thank you because, um, in the recent, uh, months, Black Lives Matter movement has been very present in the media and it actually spilled over into the international media to the point where my friends from Russia were asking me what's going on. Well, especially, you know, when there was looting, when there was some, you know, violence and it was in Los Angeles and, oh, hey, are you okay? Um, and they were like, what's going on? Why are they like, what's, what's the problem there? Like, because to Russians, again, from looking from outside, they're like, well, they're Americans. Like they're all Americans over there. What's the problem? Like people outside really have no. Well, you also have a whole country where like Jewish people are treated badly and they don't get that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, no, they don't. They don't. Like it, it doesn't really happen. It's not happening yeah. in the similar way how white people don't realize it's happening yeah, here. Yeah. They're like, what is it? We Can you explain? And I get into those conversations where what the hell do does anyone owe them? Why do white Americans have to feel guilty for what happened 400 years ago? Because and and I'm trying to explain like it's not 400 no. years ago. Yes, it is 400 yeah. years ago and throughout and to this day into tomorrow. I always think about this like I it kind of blew my mind to realize like somebody told me like you know like Harvard or the White House was built by slaves. So you understand that these buildings that make money every year was built by slaves. So you understand the wealth of that building that's been around since that slave built it, that slave got zero dollars and zero cents for all those white people. That's the generational wealth that we're talking about. When we say Americans, that we say black people build America, we're not just saying like metaphorically they helped. And no, we literally mean they put down the fucking bricks that you fucking walk on today. They just don't yeah. seem to register that. What do you owe them? Everything. You literally owe them everything. All these yeah. institutions that you have today, they're buildings. You owe it to slavery. And then the buildings they got transitioned into. You know what I mean? Like the funds were yeah. initially created because of the building that the slaves made. It's yeah. the stupidity that just don't get it. They just don't get it. Whenever somebody goes like reparations for what? And I'm like, for what? Oh man, we got a long talk right now, motherfucker. <laughs> like, well, uh, actually, that is the that is the the word that actually triggered I recently got into this conversation literally two days ago. And I uttered the word reparations and they were like for what like are you, literally they said like for being slaves 400 years ago and and i try and i you know delivered what i could to to them and i tried to explain how exactly what you were just saying how it, it is accumulation of wealth over the generations and it is unequal opportunity for the future generations and throughout and because of that it is in political system r reproduced the uh, the distribution of power and distribution of wealth but it's too abstract yeah. i like when you're explaining it I, I i read this great book called uh black rights white wrongs and it said it said that it said it said a great statistic it said that when when white people currently like white grandparents die 
they're going to leave their white offsprings $9 trillion in inheritance. Black people are living, leaving like $300 billion. Do you understand like just the, the just that number alone? I mean, I mean, that $300 billion, that's mostly Oprah and Jay-Z leaving it to, 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 to whoever the fuck they want to leave it to. You know what I mean? That's not even money going to the yeah. community. That's going to Blue Ivy and whoever yeah. Oprah fucking wants to give it to. So you're talking about $9 trillion amongst white people versus $300 billion against. And that's in America, by the way. That, that, I don't even, I cannot even imagine those numbers. So they're just so abstract yeah. to me. I know it's not, I cannot yeah. like they're. So you go, what you go, are you kidding me? This country's worth $21 trillion in its own. And you're telling me white wealth have another 9 trillion on top of it that we still, do you understand that's privatization? That's, that's bank account. That's, that's $9 trillion that white people are going to get. That's not in the economy. And then the rest of us are like, and then the, then the white people get mad at us. We're like, what the fuck are you talking? And then that $9 trillion is going to go blue to 10, 12, 15, 20 trillion amongst white people. And then the rest of us are like, what the fuck? And then they like, why are you mad? My great, 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 great granddaddy did this. I got no Yeah, but you're still a beneficiary of that ballooned wealth within your community. And that's the tricky part. Because on one hand, and in a weird way, in a messed up way, and actually it's, it is interesting because I talk on this podcast with immigrants. So every white immigrant who I've spoken to acknowledges their whiteness. Mm even being an Im immigrant, mm -hmm. you know, from France, from Russia, from, uh, from Bosnia, they're like, yeah, I know I'm white. Yeah. But a lot of immigrants who come here, we are on one hand, not part of that. We didn't do it. Yeah. We, d we don't even participate in it. But the truth is that because of how color is implemented into the whole system of how the society functions that makes me a beneficiary even though i've been in this country just for 10 years i have already to some degree uh benefited from yeah. it i don't even fully know like I, I haven't necessarily benefited monetarily but i certainly wasn't harassed i certainly wasn't in danger in the same way a, a person of color would have been um and it's hard to explain to people who are not here who are not experiencing that they're like what do you mean well you if you go into a dangerous neighborhood you will be more in danger because you're white yeah 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 like my my bosnian friend literally told me like he he rented a, a a place in black neighborhood and he felt the safest yeah 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 because he was the only white guy on the block first of all we wouldn't fuck with you if you're the only white guy on the block and secondly we know what we do they'll, they'll arrest people they'll arrest somebody yeah, and he was bosnian yeah he was bosnian he's not even white yeah. oh you know, yeah but he but he'll get, yeah, 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 yeah. but he's he's white here you know it's funny it's funny how people yeah. get put in that fold it really is it, it's the american whiteness fold is it's strong it is strong and people act like it's not there, you know? And, and, and again, like, I, you know, I, I hate to talk about this, but, you know, like, I just look at my life and all the things that I've tried to do and all the ways, you know, I've tried to be creative in this and just see the way. And that's why, like, that's one of the things where, like, when I saw Joy Floyd's murder, like, it stuck with me because it made me realize, like, yo, they're willing to put their knee to that dude's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. Like, and I know the things that police have done to me and the way they've mistreated me and... It just it made me realize like I'm fighting this giant uphill battle that I got too tired to fight anymore, which is why like 
honestly, like, you know, like, I hate to say this, but like the pandemic ruined comedy as it was standing before. And I was kind of glad because I was like, it was a racist institution that I was kind of fucking glad to see it go away for a little while and see if they can rebuild mm. something better because, you know, you, I know you don't follow comedy now, but now there's so many dudes who are coming out who are like comedians who are like child molesters and coming out as racist. And I'm like, yeah, this is all the kind of dumb stuff that we had to put up with because white dudes set the rules and they were the only ones pretty much who got a voice mm -hmm. in what was and was not allowed and the rest of us had to be brutalized for it you know and if we spoke up and were problematic you just you just fire them and get somebody who's not problematic and if they're brown even better well there were some rapists among black people too what was that there there are rapists among black hey. people too like predators are predators no matter what yeah. the race is yeah uh, of course i know, mean yeah cosby right there um yeah, 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 yeah. Rapists and all stuff, right? But I'm saying, like, but within the community, it was propped up, you know, through this, like, you know, this this silence thing, which I'm just like tired of, you know, which is some of the things I'm like, I just yeah, I can't live. Yeah, sorry, life. I I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to diminish your point. I, I'm I'm sorry. No, no, but it's, but exactly the kind of thing that like that got me upset. Even with Cosby is a perfect example of that like just trying to like defend these people who are, you know, who shouldn't be, but you're trying to make it because if you if you're problematic, then you get kicked out, you know, which is. The worst, you know, you know, you 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 know, you felt that. I'm sure as a lawyer who actually wanted justice, people saw you as problematic. Like, oh, this girl wants justice. Jesus. Well, that's why I had to not go back. At one point, there was a there was a specific point where I knew there was no way back for me, and I ended up. You think you'll ever go back? I go all the time. I visit. Um, oh, you yeah, yeah. I just can't. So you're not like you're not a political refugee. Or no, like no. I I kept my mouth shut uh, while I was there. Um, I don't know what's going to happen in the future. My dad is always worried when I visit. He's like, fortunately, you know, KGB doesn't have time to listen to stupid podcasts in English. They have enough in Russian, you know, so they probably won't find out me talking shit about but when Putin. you go home. Do you feel like you're less political than you are here? Like you're a little more like, mm. definitely. No, that's and not. that's, I'm ashamed of that. And I'm ashamed of my fear because mm -hmm. And but that's one of those things that I realized about myself that that's how I left legal career pretty much like because um, at the end of five years of law school, I just realized that, OK, I cannot do corporate because it's all corruption. I can't do criminal because it's too heavy and corruption again. I can't do a government job because it's all corruption. Um, it's all government. Oh the God. only two things I'm left with is either being in a, a teacher and working for a university or studying law and then teaching other kids to go through the same thing that I'm doing the same math that I'm doing right now. Yeah. And the other, yeah, why would you do that? Why would you do that? And then, you know, why would you set up kids for failure like that? So far? yeah. And also I'm not necessarily, you know, an academic type. And then the last option would be to be a human rights activist. And then around the time when I was graduating, um, and that's the messed up thing because I geared up to go to law school before Putin came into power. Then I went to law school in his early years. Oh, this started happening while, while you were in tandem. Yeah. Like, as he's chipping away at the law, you're starting to learn Yeah. It. Oh, man, he's pulling the rug out from underneath your feet as you're Literally. getting your bearings. Exactly. And by the time oh, I graduated, dick. I was like, this, I cannot do this. And then I realized that the only option, you know, being a human rights activist or something, you know, you have to be ready to die. Yeah. And I'm not. Yeah. And I am, oh, I am in awe of people who are. Yo, I'll be real with you. Like, that's actually something that came to my head. Like, the first time I ever stood up to a group of people was at that pool where I stood up and, and I got threats. 
and, and mm. my whole life, I've always been afraid of like getting punched or getting stabbed. But that was the first time in my life where I thought if somebody comes and puts a gun to the back of my head and shoots me, I'll actually be very happy at the fact that I died speaking my truth. Like, honestly, because I've lived too long just being quiet. Like, I would, I would, I have life insurance, so totally cool. Uh, <laughs> I'm actually worth more dead than alive, which is actually fucked up. Like, I'm worth half a million with a bullet to my head, and I'm worth 2,000 alive. And you're asking me, so... what is money's impact on America? There you go, right there. I'm 2,000 alive, but I'm half a mil if there's a bullet right here. That's fucking crazy. Yeah. You know, I, I hope, I mean, I don't know. I, do I say, do, I hope, yeah, I, ho I hope I get there one day that, that I find that, how to extract that fear out of me. But I feel that it's, it is my fear and I own it, but it is also generational fear in me. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm sure, you know, you you got some of that from your parents and them shushing you yeah. and them go, growing up well, in I a dictatorship. Well, you also love your parents. So I think you seem to talk very kindly of your dad. So you know that your actions could actually like have consequences to the people you love. Uh, I'm a very callous person. I wasn't raised by anybody. So as long as like my girlfriend doesn't get her and she's American, she's all like, go baby. Like, I don't give a fuck about my family being collateral damage because I'm like, you brought me here, baby. You should you gotta pay the price. You didn't raise me. You gotta pay. My mom hates it. I talk about her being a drug dealer. I'm like, you. I, I love you. I think it's amazing what you did to survive. But you should, I mean, you did what you did. Like, you, know, like, you did what you did. You know what you did. You know, don't do nothing if you ain't going to pay for it. You know, like I was named after my father. When I found out all the horrible shit I, he did, I decided to change my name. He's like, how dare you? I'm like, nigga, you should have lived with this. You should have known that one day living like that was going to come back and bite you. And guess what? The one person who bears your name does not fucking want it said, take it back. Oh. You know, you got to live with your consequences. Wow. That is uh that is a real very real consequence. Um yeah. hmm. thank you so much. I no problem. I hate to hold you up more. I could talk I, I'm a I'm a chatterbox. I, I've enjoyed this so much and I actually I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about race uh in a in a safe way, because I feel that you won't yeah. try to interpret me um because you can see you can tell that I'm not um, a racist person and you won't you won't you know interpret my ignorance if it comes out in some way in a, in a negative way and you will give me a correction and um, um, yeah it is uh, it is something that is that I've been trying to understand and learn about America and I that's another thing is I'm because I'm a mix of bloods uh, Russians and Russians and Jews and different kinds of Russians and whatever I always try to reach out to the other to me I respect that I want to understand what is it the other thinks and how, what is their experience? And that's where the, this podcast comes from because we are so many different others here and I want to learn from everybody and having the opportunity to, you know, get your experience. So, so different from mine. Uh, thank you. I mean, and really thank you for letting me put this down. Cause yeah, you're right. It is, it is, um, you have to learn. I guess people have to listen to the different kinds of paths here to know, like, you know, you can't dismiss, like I said, you can't dismiss someone, but like, look, it was hard. It was X, Y, Z. You know, my mother, my mother escaped a brutal, you know, relationship and, you know, and she wasn't able to seek asylum. She wasn't able to have the love that probably could have helped her transition in America yeah. and not have to do the things she did. You know what I mean? It's all about yeah. chances. Yeah. 
So yeah, you know, and it just I, I'm just I like to think of myself as the perfect example of somebody because I, I see so many of my friends who are like these beautiful, beautiful brown boys who just get lost through the cracks because I'm like, oh man, you had so much talent, yes. but you had no idea how the system failed you. Like you don't even see it. You're so sucked into it that you don't even see how it failed you. You might you might be angry. You might know your dad fucked up and your mom's an alcoholic and you ain't got a job, but you don't see the big picture of too how they got to be an alcoholic and how they got fucked up themselves, yeah. man. It's just, it's just the past. That's why I don't hate my parents. I'm like, I get it. But what I do hate is that fact that you won't say sorry or you won't acknowledge the pain that you caused. Cause you know, we're all, we're all products of our circumstances, yeah. but it's all about taking responsibility. Once you, like you said, once things come into mind, like, Oh my God, I was, I was being a terrible person, but you know, you just find that people aren't willing to do that. Well, they might get there. Yeah. You know, they're I'll still, they're still growing. They're still here. Yeah, you know, everybody got a chance. Everybody got yeah. a chance. You know, I'm, I'm hopeful. Yeah. I'm hopeful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was good talking to you. Too. I, I, you know, I'm sorry if I chat up too much about like the Russia thing. I thought it was very interesting. I, but I'm sorry, I was taking somebody, it over, but right. I, maybe I was so interesting as a, as a human, like listening to your story and be like, oh my god, we're all so similar everywhere we go. We just act like we're fucking. Different. We just add different seasoning to our chicken. That is it. <laughs> Everything else is pretty much the same. <laughs> Well, in Russia, there is no seasoning. There's just salt and garlic. So, <laughs> see, that's different. That's some. That's some. Just a little salt on that chicken. That's fine. I get it. Russian get it. cuisine is very mellow. I had to like really, oh really learn god. when I moved to LA. I couldn't yeah. eat any spice. Oh. <laughs> oh my god, that must have been amazing for you to be like, what? The, what is all this? I I couldn't eat anything. Like, no, no. What about today? Is it better now? Much. Tapatio is my best friend. Much better. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love how you blend all these cultures, you know, yourself a little bit here, a little bit LA. And LA is a great place to be, especially you come from a country with no diversity to all this diversity. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's my favorite. It's my favorite. I'm glad. I'm glad to have you here. Thank you. I'm glad to have you here. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, I have enjoyed this tremendously. Thank you so much. And, uh, you yeah. know, I maybe, maybe we'll do another one sometime. I would love to. I'd love to talk about it. That's it for today. I hope it was interesting. Let me know what you think. Subscribe, review, follow, share, comment, repost. Do your thing. And remember, we're here to stay. We'll find our way. Thank you for listening. Love you all. Peace. And here's one more little nugget from Che's album. You guys, her family is crazy too. Like she has family members who watch Alex Jones. You guys know who that is? They put me onto that shit. If you guys don't know who Alex Jones is, he's like this, this racist conspiracy theorist online. And he's always like white nationalist kind of shit. It's, it's crazy. But you guys know something? I actually watch Alex Jones all the time. <laughs> because I want to know what the other side is talking about. You got to know what the other crazy side is saying about you. Right? This is like, one interesting clip I saw. I clicked once on a clip. They were talking about immigration. I was like, well, I'm an immigrant. I better fucking watch this. Right, so Alex Jones is taking calls, right? And he takes a call and, uh, and this white guy called in. Now, the reason why I know he was white was because as soon as Alex said hello, the guy went, hey, I'm white. <laughs> and for a second I was like, wait a minute, is that how white people say hi to each other when they can't? Is that what happens? Do like white people call Verizon? They'd be like, hey, Verizon. They'd be like, hey, I'm white. I'm sorry. Let me connect you to the CEO. I don't know what you're... What are you doing calling the nigger number? Don't Google this. Hang on. Right? So this guy, this guy said this. This is what tripped me out. This guy went, hey, Alex, 
I want to stop all immigration into this country, legal or illegal, no immigration, because white people in this country are becoming a minority, and one day, we're just going to become extinct. Goodbye. And just hung up on that. And I was like, wait a minute, hold up. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. White people becoming the minority? Is that a real thing? And I Googled it. I actually Googled it. It's true. White people becoming the minority. But I found out something interesting. Do you know the number one reason why white people's numbers are dwindling so quickly? It's because white people are having sex and having babies outside of your own race. This is your fault. (laughs) You're fucking yourselves out of existence. You're going through a sexual genocide. That's awesome. You're coming and going at the same time. That is... Wow! This is my country, my damn country, and it don't mean a thing.